Welcome to Design 30. My name is Jason Bilyeu, and in this podcast, I provide design strategies and tools to improve creativity, innovation, and overall design confidence. Hey everyone, and welcome to an in-review episode of the Design 30 podcast. In this one, I will be reviewing the book Designing for People by Henry Dreyfus. And you've probably, well, if you've been listening to the last few episodes, you've heard me reference Henry Dreyfus, Dreyfus or Dreyfus, probably Dreyfus. Um, yeah, you've heard me reference him a few times. You've heard me reference reference this book. Um, that's because I've been reading it. Well, I've just finished it a couple of weeks ago. I've been reading over the past month or so. And it's it's been pretty incredible. It was written originally, I think, in 1955. Yeah, it was first published in 1955. And it's just fascinating to see you know, someone's perspective from that point in history. And he's coming from an industrial designer standpoint, which I think applies to... 100% to dis- industrial designers today. But a lot of what he talks about applies to designers of all kinds. Um, so I think it's something that can be applicable, especially to people just doing product design in general, uh, no matter what field you're working in. I think this book is incredibly useful and something that is 100% worth your time if you're someone who is into reading books, which I hope you are. Uh, If you're listening to podcasts, you're probably into books as well, right? I don't know. I mean, I like listening to podcasts a lot and reading. Maybe some people are more auditory learners and only listen to podcasts. I don't know. I'm sure you can find this book, uh, an audio version of it as well. So make sure to check it out. Again, it's called Designing for People by Henry Dreyfus and or Dreyfus. I I don't know. Does anyone know how to say that name? If someone knows, let me know. I feel like I say it differently every time I say it. But with that, let's go ahead and dive into this book. Uh, I want to start in chapter one, titled The Early Days, and just read the introduction to this chapter. Somewhere deep in the shadowy past, primitive man desiring water instinctively dipped his cupped hands into a pool and drank. Some of the water leaked through his fingers. In time, he fashioned a bowl from soft clay, let it harden, and drank from it, attached a handle, and made a cup, pinched the rim at one point to make a spout, creating a pitcher. Intuitively, this prehistoric man was following the same principles of utility that guide today's industrial designer who creates for mass production. In the minds of many persons, an industrial designer is a brisk, suave character, brimming with confidence, who bustles around factories and stores, streamlining stoves and refrigerators that aren't going anywhere, reshaping doorknobs, and squinting at this year's automobiles, and arbitrarily deciding that next year's fender should be 2 and 3 eighths inches longer. Actually, this is a caricature of the industrial designer. It exists partially because it is only within the last 25 years that the profession has come of age, partially because a successful performer in this new field is is a man of many hats. He does more than merely design things. He is a businessman as well as a person who makes drawings and models. He is a keen observer of public taste and has painstakingly cultivated his own taste. He has an understanding of merchandising, 
how things are made, packed, distributed, and displayed. He accepts the responsibility of his position as a liaison linking management, engineering, and the consumer and cooperates with all three. What I really love about this introduction to the chapter one is I love where he starts and describes how design has been a part of humanity as long as humanity has been around. Humans have been coming up with ways to solve problems, ways to fill a need that they're finding. He talks about there was at some point the first human who you know, got a little tired of drinking water from a stream and having all of the water inefficiently fall out of his hand. So he came up with some sort of tool for it. Um, perhaps that was hardened clay. Maybe he made it out of wood. Whatever the case might be, there was a problem, a need that was recognized. And at some point, a human became or got creative and solved the problem. They came up with a solution to it. And that was by designing. And that's the same way that we today as designers should not, maybe not the same way we should act, but it's kind of the same ethos that we hold on to. We look for needs. We look for problems that need to be solved. Uh, maybe it's your boss or your manager or your coworkers give you a problem that needs to be solved and you do what you need to do to solve it. You employ design strategies and tools to come up with some sort of creative solution that meets the need and and serves a purpose it's why we or a lot of us actually became designers it was because we enjoy uh, seeing a problem and figuring out how to solve it and i also love how he describes the industrial designer or the way i'm reading this just designers in general um, as being kind of a jack of all trades in a lot of ways um, he says they have an understanding of merchandising, how things are made, packed, distributed, displayed. So he's talking about just having an understanding of essentially whatever industry you're working in, kind of that whole industry, the whole supply chain, where are the products, or where are the raw materials sourced, how are those raw materials actually turned into uh, the materials that you use to build your product, and then how is your product sold, how is it packaged, how is it shipped. As a product designer, these are all things that you should, you know, obviously you're not going to be an expert at all these things, but you should have a general understanding or at least a surface level understanding of how these things work. That's how you're going to be competent. That's how you're going to uh, understand what actually is going to impact the product, what's going to improve it for the users. And if you understand the entire process you can see where inefficiencies are at. So sometimes if you're someone who's only working on the engineering side or just the sourcing or business side, you can be a little too close to the problems that you are tasked with solving. And it's hard to zoom out and kind of see this whole process and see the whole supply chain, the whole development process, and then even the sales and service side of things. So that's something that as a designer, as a product designer, uh, it's good to zoom out a little bit and see this whole thing and you can see where efficiencies are at. You can see how they interact with each other. And then that's going to give you ample opportunity to step in and improve all of these different areas or understand where improvement is most needed. I also like how he says, you don't merely design things. I mean, anyone can come up with just a new, a new design, make something look a little different. 
uh, to make something look different than any product has ever looked. It could be new and novel, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good design. So that's why you also have to be a businessman as well. And you need to understand what's going to actually be the benefit of your design changes. What's the purpose behind it? Why are you doing it? What's the expected outcome? How are you going to measure those outcomes? So it's much more complicated than just sitting at a computer and coming coming up with something that's new or cool or, you know, has an interesting look to it. There's got to be purpose and intention and a plan behind it. And now moving to the end of chapter one, he says, if the point of contact between the product and the people becomes a point of friction, then the industrial designer has failed. If on the other hand, people are made safer, more comfortable, more eager to purchase, more efficient, or just plain happier, the designer has succeeded. He brings to this task a detached analytical point of view. He consults closely with the manufacturer, the manufacturer's engineers, production men, and sales staff, keeping in mind whatever peculiar problem the firm may have in the business or industrial world. He will compromise up to a point, but he refuses to budge on design principles he knows to be sound. Occasionally, he may lose a client, but he rarely loses the client's respect. And there are two things here that I really want to touch on. The first one is at the beginning. If the point of contact between the product and the people becomes a point of friction, then the industrial designer has failed. Or you could say, then the designer has failed. And I think this is something that is really important as a designer, especially someone who's working with product design, maybe your user experience, uh, user interface designer, whatever the case might be. What you're really trying to do in a lot of these cases is reduce the friction. And so if the point of contact between the product and the people becomes a point of friction after you've implemented some new aspect of the design, then you're doing something wrong. You've failed as the designer. You're trying to reduce that friction. And in turn, you're trying to make the product either safer or perhaps more comfortable And obviously you want people to be more excited about purchasing that product because at the end of the day, that's the goal. You're trying to design products that people actually want because they're safer, more comfortable. They solve a need. They're more efficient than other products out there on the market. And then the other point from this section that I want to touch on is he says occasionally, well, here, let me back up a little bit. He will compromise up to a point, but he refuses to budge on the design principles he knows to be sound. Occasionally, he may lose a client, but he rarely loses the client's respect. And so that's something I think we all, as designers, need to be very cognizant of and have these design principles that you um, rely on. They're things that you know are the right way, the best way to design a product. And those are things that you're not going to budge on. And you need to be honest with your clients about that. And he says, sometimes this will cost you a client. You're going to lose work. You're going to lose jobs. But at the end of the day, if you hold to those principles and you're honest and open with your client, you're not going to lose the client's respect. And I think this is just so good. You can lose a client, but you don't want to lose their respect. And that's, I think it is a mindset that all of us as designers, as engineers, as uh, even just general business people, design thinkers, whatever word or uh, term you want to use, I think this is something that is really important 
to keep in mind and to and to live and work uh, with that maxim or motto in your head. And then finally, I want to end this. I mean, we're only getting through. This is just a few quotes from the first chapter of this book. There's just so much more, so I can't recommend enough. Go out and buy this book. I'll have a link in the show notes for sure. Buy it and just dive into it. I think anyone who buys this book is going to enjoy it and pull something from it. So again, I cannot recommend it enough. But here's just one more quote that I want to end this this episode of In Review on. He says, he operates on the theory that it is better to be right than be original. Therefore, he, he steers a course somewhere between daring and caution. And I just, I love this as, you know, someone who's trying to come up with new and creative ideas. Sometimes you can get sucked into this uh, downfall or this pitfall of, just being original, something new, something novel, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best design and it doesn't mean that you're actually meeting a customer need or really even doing your job well. You have to steer a course somewhere between what he says, daring and caution. So of course, yeah, you have to be willing to take a risk and try new things and and see, you know, try to see what's coming, what the market's going to want before it's actually there. But at the same time, you also need to use some caution. I mean, this is often if you're working perhaps as a contractor or, you know, you're coming in as an outside resource to help out a company, you're using their money and resources to develop this product. And that's, that's really important. That's developing products is expensive. So you have to be cautious that, and so that you're not just wasting this company's money. I mean, obviously if you do that, you're, you're also going to get probably a bad reputation and maybe have a hard time getting jobs. Um, so it's, it goes both ways. It's better for you and honestly better for the client as well. But I think this is something that you need to keep in mind. And that's something I need to keep in mind. And something I've been thinking about is don't just be original. You can be original and also a bad designer, uh, uh, non what thinking, not in depth, um, not delivering what's expected of you. Originality in and of itself is not all that's expected of you as a product designer, as an industrial designer. So you got to find this balance between being daring and being caution. And I think a lot of that comes with experience. I think we're all going to have experiences where we are very daring and we make mistakes and we cause problems and you got to learn from that. You know, don't obviously mistakes are going to happen. We talked about that a lot that when you fail, there's so much you can learn from that. Um, and then we're also going to have experiences where we're too cautious and we realize, oh, well, we probably should have pushed a little harder here, maybe taking a chance there. And this was, you know, we just were being, maybe we were afraid, maybe we were uh, swinging a little bit too far the other way after failing, after making a mistake. Uh, so I think as you become more and more experienced as a designer, as a designer, you will, you'll find a healthy balance between this being daring and being cautious. And I'm going to leave it there for now. Uh, I will probably do future episodes on this book. Like I said, there's just so much good content inside of it. So much good design, so many good design principles. So yeah, please go buy it, go check it out. Um, and while you're at it, uh, maybe follow design 30 on Instagram, maybe give me a 
subscription or subscribe on YouTube. And then as always, you can find Design30 on Substack and become a free subscriber or a paid subscriber if you want to support the podcast. Also, I just want to say, if you do want to support the podcast and you can't support by being a paid subscriber, just share the episodes or or share the YouTube channel. Any of those things are incredibly helpful for me. Uh, Maybe share it on Instagram, something like that. Uh, I would love that. Be very helpful. So please, if you want to support the podcast, feel free to do that. And I'm going to leave it there. So as always, remember, design more, despair less. Thanks for listening.